guys, this is Desi, and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today, my special guest is Amber Rose. Amber Rose, I actually met her through the love storm. She is a survivor of human trafficking within the United States. She's from a small town in Florida, and she wanted to come on here to use her voice to those who have been silenced. So Amber, welcome to my podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. I actually heard your story from Annalyn and some of the Love Storm girls, and it was just incredible. And I really just wanted to use your story and have you come on here and tell people all the things that you've been through and kind of how you got to where you are today. Because if you met Amber or saw Amber, you would have no idea that she was a victim of this. So Amber, um, if you want to just kind of start from the beginning and tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So taking it back to the beginning, you know, I grew up in a small town. I was a high school cheerleader um, and I originally started going to college. And then, of course, I had my high school sweetheart. And so what teenage girl doesn't go and follow her high school sweetheart to college, right? So (laughs) I went to, I had dropped out of my college and I ended up going to UCF. And then when I moved in with my boyfriend, I then found out that he was dependent on certain drugs. And when I found that out, I knew what I had to do was I had to keep him happy in order to keep him in my life. I didn't know that it was toxic Mm. at the time because I was, you know, quote unquote, so in love. Mm -hmm. And in order to keep up with his habits, I needed to go and find more jobs. At the time, I already had two jobs. So I ended up taking on this personal assistant job with this guy named Andrew Bennett. And when I took on the job, I originally started doing all the book work for him. I mailed the checks. I made sure that, you know, all of his calls were coming in. I made sure the emails were working. I just kind of held everything together and did anything that I was asked to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew one day asked me to come by the house and pick up his checks and to mail them out. And when I had thought about it, you know, I didn't think anything was weird or out of the ordinary because he's asked me to do that before since I knew he had gotten into a car wreck a few weeks prior and didn't have a vehicle to travel around. So I knew I was going to have to be picking up the slack on that. So I picked up the checks from his place a few times before and he would walk them out to me. But this time he told me that he was on a very important phone call and he needed me to come in and grab them real quick. And go send them out in the mail. And it was super important that it got done today. And so I show up there. And when I went in, I immediately was stripped of everything. And his process was... By him? Or by did he have him, there? him and a guy that he referred to as his cousin. It Was it really his biological cousin? No, I don't think so. But I never got a name. He was always referred to as cuz or cousin. Okay. And when I was in that situation, you know, his approach to it was, you're going to conform. You're going to do what you're asked to do. And people are going to come in here, do what they want to do to you. But he also had set up an account for me on streamatelive.com. And so everything that was being done to me was being uploaded onto this live webcam site. And it was also being recorded and sold to porn sites as well. And how old were you at this point? 
I was 17, right when I had just left home. Okay. And so when I was in this situation, I knew that I obviously didn't want to be a part of it. I have wanted nothing to do with it and I need to get out of there. My personality is very fight, fight, fight. And I'm a very strong person with him. I knew that I had to conform after my first punishment, a punishment referring to what he calls a punishment is locking you in the bathroom and giving you the laptop and you have a money amount that you have to make on Streamate Live by touching yourself on webcam. And, and once you make that amount, you out of the bathroom. Exactly. Okay. And so one day he wasn't very careful and left his cousin in charge of me. And when he did, I took the opportunity to run and get out of that situation. And um, I was able to get free. I knew that my chances were pretty high that his cousin wouldn't come chasing me because he knew I was a prized possession to Andrew. And he knew that if he let me out of the house, he would get blamed and he would get killed for that. Mm. So how long did this go on? How long were you stuck in there? Um, About six weeks. Oh, wow. So during that six weeks, was it also physical abuse or kind of what would happen on a basically daily basis? Um, Basically on a daily basis, we would have either people would be coming in and paying to do stuff and it would all be uploaded onto the internet or Mm -hmm. we were touching ourselves on camera making money for him to collect. We ate one meal a day. It was a 10-piece nugget meal. We had to share it. It was me and two other females were in the house at the time as well. Okay. And you weren't the only one No, I was not. I was the first one, and then two trickled in, and then they both trickled out, unfortunately. What do you mean by that? How did they? One ended up becoming pregnant, and she was no longer held of any value. And the other one was meant to be sold, but actually recently she has just come out of hiding, and she's alive, and I had no idea and she reached out to me about two weeks ago and so she's still in hiding from him and isn't ready to share her story yet but she did reach out to me and so I recently found that out actually oh that's crazy so was it physical abuse as well was that like another punishment or how was that taken care of like where you felt threatened um there was no physical abusement Because I had to put on a show, I had no value if I had demarcations on me. There was only, there was only a few times where things got physical and it was because of other people, but they weren't following his rules that he had set into place. Like a cigarette being put out on my hand. I have a scar from that. I've got a few scars and bruises from, uh, or not bruises anymore, obviously, but I do have some scars of certain things that did occur in the house. Okay. Um, but obviously that was not Andrew's doing. That was not his intent. He looked at me like a China doll and I had to be protected, but I had to put on a show all the time. So unfortunately I didn't have the luxury of being drugged. Um, I was coherent for all of it. We had an I was just ask that. vodka okay. bottle 
yeah, we had an absolute vodka bottle that we were allowed a certain amount of shots out of a day, but you had to be very lucid and you had to be able to perform. Oh, wow. So it's not, so it's not what people think it is. Well, at least not in your situation where you're knocked out and things just happened. You you were coherent and aware of everything. Right. Absolutely. Were you ever like in situations where you thought that you were going to be killed or anything like that? Every day I feared for my life because I saw Andrew go from one temperament of just very calm, cool, collected, and very business-like. And then I saw him go to irate very quickly and his moods fluctuate. But for some reason, I always had so much trust in him. And no matter how much I didn't want to look at him like a protector, I still had that trauma bond to him. Oh, I was okay. So you still kind of had a connection that kept you, you know, from feeling completely unsafe, but not all the way. Okay. Yep. What would you say, like, what was going through your mind when everything was good, when that was happening, you were stuck in the house and all of this was going on for six weeks. Cause six weeks, that's a, you know, does it seem like that's not what out, like very long out loud, but six weeks of constant torture where you're someone's sex slave. And, you know, I can't imagine that happening. You know, I, I was in a situation with my own stuff, but never with just random strangers. And so that's where it kind of changes. Yeah. Um, you know, what I was thinking that whole time is I was the first one. So I was in there for about two weeks before anybody else got brought into that house. So I was pretty lonely in there. And the whole time I just kept making conversation with Andrew. I kept trying to make him see me as a person and we would, we would sit down and we would have deep conversations and I would think that he saw me as a person, but he's a sociopath. And so they can imitate Mm -hmm. emotions very easily, unfortunately. And when the other girls got brought into the house, I quickly saw that they were unable to adapt to the situation and overcome it they shut down and I knew that they weren't going to be strong enough to hold their voice at the end of this and so Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to be the one to be strong I had to be the one that was going to have the voice and speak for all of us one day and when you guys would have those conversations like did you ask him to let you go or kind or did you just kind of get you like used to it what was going through like what was that situation I was trying to manipulate a mass manipulator, which is one of the Mm -hmm. hardest things out there to do. And so when I would talk to him, I knew not to ask for any favors at all. I knew to kind of play on his emotions and see if he had any emotions at all. And if so, what were his triggers? And it was kind of me just just trying to maybe play the field and find out what traps I can step on and get out of and Mm -hmm. where I can go around things. So when this first happened and he first, you know, basically shut the door and took everything from you, did you, what was your reaction? Did you freak out and say, let me go? Or were you kind of just like shocked? I didn't speak for maybe three hours. I remember the feeling in my body. It was just, I felt like I was empty but my whole body was just on fire. Like it was super hot, almost like if you are completely embarrassed in front of, you know, somebody that you hold on a pedestal. I just, my whole body was on fire. I felt completely ashamed, embarrassed. 
I didn't even feel like I existed as a human being anymore. Did you ask him, like, why are you doing this or, or anything like that? Or did you just kind of not ever ask those questions? I never asked him why he was doing it. I was completely shut down. I knew that I was not going to be able to ask him that and get an honest answer because I don't think he even knew why he was doing it. And for me, I had an understanding that for somebody to do something so awful to somebody, they Mm -hmm. had to have had something so awful done to them. So I tried to play on that. And I would ask him, what happened to you when you were younger? I know something happened. Mm -hmm. I can see it in your eyes. And I would try to bring that to light. And every time I did, he would immediately get irate and tell me just, Stop talking. I'll be fine if I can just keep my mouth shut and do my job. Oh, and so when he okay. would get irate, I would immediately just shut down and crawl into my shell. So you just kind of basically learned how he worked. So before this, you said he was your boss. Did you ever get, I don't know, any type of signs or anything like that? Any like feelings of being uncomfortable around him? No, he was so good at building trust. He made me feel so comfortable with everything. I felt like he was such an amazing boss, but I trusted him a little bit too much. The guy that I was seeing that was dependent, he ended up going to stay with his family for some time. And when I told him that, he knew I had nobody else I was in contact. I wasn't in contact with my family. They cut me off. I cut them off. And he played off of that. He knew that I had nobody else there. And it was the second that he knew that. He decided that Took this advantage. is what he was going to do. Yeah. Did you, did anybody, like, I know you said you didn't have contact with your family. So did nobody know that, notice that you were missing? No. He had me and one of the other girls, we would post pictures on Instagram together. Like he would take us out to the car, let us sit in the car and take a selfie together and then post that. So it looks like I'm still living my life, but in Mm -hmm. reality we weren't and we were made to fake this false falsify situations basically. So were you locked in the house with no way of getting out or was it more of just, you just felt like you couldn't? No, we were definitely locked in there. It It wasn't a hard lock that I couldn't have picked it or gotten out of it. It was more of the fear that he instilled inside of you that Mm -hmm. this, this is where you are. You're not getting out. And if you get out, you will die. I'll find you. Yeah. Uh, That's crazy. So kind of just explain what happened after what went through your mind and kind of how you healed from that or are healing through that. You know, immediately out of, I, when I got out of that situation, I immediately took to partying, drinking. I started taking Xanax and drinking because I would forget. And when I started doing that, I went down such a dark path that I became very depressed. And when that happened, I told my grandfather, I need this amount of money. I'm moving to New York City. This is what I'm doing. I'm just going to move away. Nobody knew what I'd went through. I didn't tell my grandpa why. He just trusted me and gave me all this money. And so with that, I moved to New York City and I started a whole new life for myself. But in that life, I became subjected to stripping at night. Um, Mm -hmm. I went on Sugar Daddy's site. Hey guys, so quick break. So if you came to my podcast launch back in August, you saw one of the vendor booths from the lovely ladies from Clone Apparel. 
The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn, which was about suicide prevention. They specialize in apparel for every booty, men and women. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up the kids from school and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, and showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $40. You can find them on Facebook or on Instagram at Clone Apparel. That's K-L-O-N Apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. If you use my discount code, candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out because I know you'll be obsessed too. I mm. would still sign into Dreammate Live and I would just sit there on the videos and just watch other people's videos. Not sure why, I just would. And I lost myself in that. And in that time, I somehow got reconnected with my mom. But at the time, I was, you know, out drinking till 5 a.m. I was taking Xanax and drinking. I was smoking a lot of weed. I was doing all these things that were altering my mind. And when I had gotten reconnected with my mother, she brought me back to Florida. And when she did, she could see that I was going down such a wrong path that she asked me to go to rehab, but I wouldn't. And so one night I decided, oh, well, I'm going to meet up with my friend from high school. I haven't seen him forever. And we're going to go smoke a blunt together. Well, when Mm -hmm. I had gotten there, the blunt was leaked. And lo and behold, I had a horrible reaction to it. I thought I was dying from the inside out. And I ended up calling my family and my father and my sister showed up to where I was picked me up and all night I was throwing up black goo and the next morning I went to the doctors and we did some blood work and figured some things out and my organs on the inside were shutting down because of all the trauma and everything that I had endured so in order to get through it I told my mom I'll go to rehab but I've got to go today you have to take me within the next 30 minutes or I'm not going so she took me to rehab and I ended up at a facility for drug rehabilitation and Jacksonville, Florida. I was there for 36 days. And when I was there, everybody kind of realized that my problem wasn't drugs. My problem was more sexual. So we found a place called The Ranch in Tennessee, which has different houses that pertain to different things. So I was in Hilltop, which was related to sexual addiction, sexual abuse, and sexual trauma. And I stayed there for a few months. And when I was there, it was intensive therapy every morning from 630 in the morning till 8.30 at night. And from there, I transitioned to a transition house in Mississippi called the McCoy House. And when I was there, I attended an IOP program. And I worked every single day at overcoming my traumas. I did individual therapy and group therapy every single day for a total of nine months. Wow. So did you never report what happened to you? I personally do not have my report against him. Another one of the girls that was a victim, she actually reported it and he got sentenced to life in prison. Oh, so okay. he is so in Florida. No in okay. Correct. I am, however, pursuing my own trial against him. I do want to press my own charges just for the clarity in my mind that I know I did something about my being there. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense too. Wow. So you went to rehab for a really long time. And so do you think that really helped you get to the core of everything that happened to you? Because obviously I feel like when you're 
subjected to sex trafficking, it is very common for people to become mm-hmm. a sex addict, you know, and do different things, become a pornography, you know, addicted to pornography, and addicted to things that have to do with sexual, you know, with it have to do with sex. So, and I know that's kind of the thing that people carry the shame with it, but then at the same mm-hmm. time, like it makes complete sense. So when you went to rehab, did you, did that help get rid of those? Is it something you still have to constantly battle or how do you deal with that? It is a constant battle only because I do dissociate. And when I go into this, this dissociation process, I I won't really remember the time that just passed. And so with that, I'm still working on that. It's still an everyday thing. Certain things can trigger me and then certain things I can be fine being a part of so So do you still disassociate then I do yes okay the reason I ask that is because I don't know if you know anything about my story but I have disassociation disorder as well and that is basically what happened I was sexually abused for eight years by my stepfather for several years and it was from the age eight to 15 and I kind of do the same thing I'll black out and hours of my days go missing and I don't remember what happened. No longer, I haven't done it in a few years and so I no longer disassociate, but it happened for years and years and years and I ended up actually in a residential treatment program because of it. And so I completely get what you're saying with that and I could see that being an issue because when you do disassociate, you kind of lose control of your whole self. Well, you do lose control of your whole self and you go back to that mindset that you were during that time And so who knows, you know, like you said, kind of what's happening when you're in those moments. Right. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. And for me, you know, I didn't even come out about my story until I was in the ranch. And we were asked the first week I was there to write our our story. And so Mm -hmm. when I was writing Mm -hmm. my timeline, I realized all these missing times and I knew that when I, because you do have to give it to the class, you do have to almost like a show and tell. I have to present it to yeah, everybody present else it. that's in my therapy group. And so mm-hmm. when I was doing that, I was like, I'm gonna have to tell people about what I went through because I can't just skip that much amount of time in my timeline. Right. And that was a very opening day. We were supposed to have three people present that day, and it was only me that presented that day because I was the first one and we didn't get through all of it I fell to the ground and I just remember certain people's voices and certain things that were happening and it was a whole traumatic experience and I still didn't even tell my parents about it until I was home after rehab for a few months and I remember my dad looking at me and telling me you used to be so strong what happened to you who broke you and for some reason, when he asked me that like, question, wow. I immediately started crying. And I was like, Andrew Bennett broke me. And I told him all about it. I told him what happened. He, asked, my, my father acted like he cared and took me to lunch and was like, we're going to press charges. I'm going to get all of this taken care of for you. And then within an hour, had switched his mind and was like, I don't believe you. And so oh, wow. I immediately got discouraged and I shut down. Mind you, me and my father, we don't have the best relationship. Mm-hmm. So he did, he said he didn't believe you. What about your mom and other family members? Did you get any validation from anybody else? I was discouraged by my father and, you know, I wanted to tell my mom because my mom and I are very close, but I felt like if my dad doesn't believe me, what's going to make my mom believe me? And it mm-hmm. wasn't until my mom found all the videos saved on my phone that were, you know, on porn site. And mm-hmm. she had said, Amber, we've got to get your pictures and videos down off these site so we were sitting there going through it and I'm like mom you know just so you know like 
this this was forced. This wasn't something that I wanted to do. Those videos of me, I'm not enjoying that. This was a forced mm-hmm. thing. That's kind of how I came out to my mom and told my mom about it. And she did believe me. She immediately tried to help me in any way that she possibly could. Oh, good. I'm glad that you had at least her to help you through that. Were you able to get, you know, your step offline or is it something that still kind of haunts you? Um, We did email all the sites. I was able to get, I would like to say all of it, but I'm sure majority of it because there's no telling what else is out there. Um, I do sometimes sit on sites and I do typing keywords and I look for certain things Mm -hmm. it's a big fear of me it does keep me up at night sometimes unfortunately but majority of it we were able to get down once we emailed the site okay good so I don't even think I know how old you are how long ago was this so I am about to turn 25 in July so this was about seven years ago okay so it's still not very long still a pretty fresh process. I mean, I mean, I think people think that seven years ago is a long time, but my stepfather was in jail for, ended up being in jail for 10 years and it was still just as traumatizing when he got out 10 years later. Well, almost just as traumatizing. So seven years, you're still working through a lot and figuring a lot out. And I think that what you're doing is like being a voice for people, I think is really, really, really good for not only you, but not for not only other people, but for you and your own healing. So how do you deal with everything now? Like what, how do you kind of get through every day because I would assume I mean does it affect your relationships with you know a partner are you triggered by sex at all now kind of how has that affected you it does affect relationships in the sense that when I got out of rehab you know my dad ended up leaving my mom for another woman the day he brought me home from rehab Mm. and my mom was up in Tallahassee taking care of my sister who was in the hospital with an illness so with that I immediately I was I had gotten enrolled back in school and I immediately clinged to the first guy that I met in school who ended up becoming a very controlling person and I immediately felt trapped again and Mm. so I kind of put myself back in that situation because my whole life was falling apart And I didn't know where Mm -hmm. to turn to. So, of course, I put myself back in a traumatic experience. Once I had realized how toxic that relationship was, I then got out of it. And I started dating a guy who, in my opinion, is very healthy for me. And it does affect sex. It plays a huge role in sex. Lucky for me, this guy is all about the love and the romance. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember writing in my journal that after the first time with this guy that I'm dating now, he's the first person after my situation that made me feel like a whole human being. The first time Not we just were together. like an object, right? Exactly. Wow, yeah. I think anyone who's been through sexual trauma, that's something that we have to deal with forever, well, at least for long periods of time with our partners. I know for me, that's something my husband and I have had to deal with. And we've been together for 13 years in May, and it still has its issues sometimes where I get triggered by certain things or you know, a certain days, even sometimes just certain days, I'm more triggered than others. And I have to kind of be honest and open with it. Are you very honest and open about your feelings when you're triggered, things like that? Or are you kind of more deal with it in your own like internal way? Oh, no, I immediately say something. The second I feel anything, I immediately say something. Okay, good. And he's very understanding with it. He is understanding. However, he's a very shy person. And he's not very sure how to show his emotions sometimes. 
but he's a very Mm -hmm. sensitive person. And so I think for him, sometimes he tunes me out because it hurts him to think that somebody would do something so awful to somebody he cares about so much. Right. No, I think that makes sense. I was interviewing someone the other day. We were talking about that because her husband's kind of the same way. They're, my, you know, my husband's very supportive. He's always been there, but sometimes they don't know how to respond in the way that we necessarily want them to or need them to in that moment. So sometimes, at least for me, I kind of react and I'm like, well, you're not reacting the way I want you to react. But then I have to remember, you know, people that aren't in that, don't have that trauma brain, don't think the way that we do and don't have the same reaction or feelings to things like we do. And so sometimes I have to give my husband grace with that to like, you know, say, okay, I know you don't fully understand. You're doing the best you can, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to not to have, you know, be with people who don't fully hundred percent understand what you've been through. And so do you have a good support system like therapy or something that you are very, that you can be very open with and know that you're going to get some good feedback? Um, You know, I didn't for a long time. When I had gotten out of rehab, I obviously got into a bad um, relationship. And then Mm -hmm. I started working at a psych ward. And when I was working at the psych ward, I was working on the children's unit with them. And I would hear stories from them and it would trigger me. And so I switched from working there to working at an addiction facility and then even that would start to trigger me so I knew I had to find my somewhere else so Mm. one day I saw Anna Lynn's post and I looked on her page saw that she was an advocate and what she was doing with all of this and Mm -hmm. I messaged her and she messaged me back and a few weeks later I find myself on a plane headed to New York to be a part of the love storm and that's Mm -hmm. where I met my support group that I have now awesome no that's so great I think that us in this love storm group have that's been kind of a story for a lot of us in that way of work Mm -hmm. didn't really have like we had support but not necessarily people who fully understand it and until this and I think that that's been super helpful even for me who I've been through the healing process for a long time and you know I'm a healing coach and I coach people who actually I help them go through the healing process of trauma, especially sexual trauma. And I still need that support as well. So sometimes, so I think that that's awesome that you reached out to her and now, you know, we are all in this group, hopefully continuing to support each other for a long time, because this is whether it's sex trafficking or being a sex slave for someone for a long period of time or whatever it is, we've all been to very similar when you've been through child sexual abuse or sexual abuse in any way, there's no discriminating. You know what I mean? It's all the same. There's no worse than others. We've all been through the same pain And that's the thing that we have to remember. And I think that's what's so great about having groups like we have, you know, the love storm and other people to turn to, because it helps us to remember that we're not alone. Because I think sometimes when you have been victimized, it can be super hard to basically kind of feel like you're the only person who's going through it in that moment. You feel like the world is so heavy. But then when you're reminded that other people have been through similar things, it's nice. It's not, not necessarily it's nice that other people have been through it, but it's nice to know that you're not by yourself and you have a team behind you that's going to help not only guide you through what's going on, but understand the pain that you're feeling right and I think Um, a big thing for me was the guilt that was associated with telling somebody if I'm going through something and I know that they haven't been through something similar so they don't understand it I would feel mm -hmm. guilty for putting something so heavy on their shoulders yeah I remember that's why I didn't tell my story for years until I came off my podcast this last you know last year a year ago I 
only my closest family knew because yeah, you don't just like randomly tell people because it's an, if you have a shame, you have embarrassment, you have guilt, there's so many different things. So now that you're using your voice and now you just, you know, you, she just started a podcast. It's called sex, love and you. So that's going to be really cool because I like that you're, you know, kind of doing what I'm doing. We're talking about people's survival stories, but you're also getting rid of the stigma of the shame and guilt when it comes to your sexual being. And I think that that's super important because I know for me that even now I get super self-conscious if I feel like, oh, I got to be careful. I can't post that. That's too, I'm showing cleavage or, you know what I mean? Things like that where it's like, no, I'm a woman and I deserve to feel sexy as well. And there's no, there shouldn't be any shame in that. And so I think that you know, you're going to be advocating for that. I think it's, it's really, really, really smart. And I'm grateful that you're going to be having this new podcast that's going to talk about that. So oh, thank you. So yeah, what, we're super um, excited for it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be super awesome. I'm excited for some of your guests as well. So what would you kind of recommend to people like the signs to look for in these situations to kind of help them not be not be victimized in something like this? You know, every interview that I've done, on this I'm always asked this question and I think I scare people with my answer because it's a little too real Mm -hmm. I it's all right I'm pretty real on here so it's good (laughs) perfect I don't see any signs I don't want to tell people that there are certain signs to look for because unfortunately there aren't people that do Mm -hmm. this to other people are sociopaths they can imitate other emotions they can Mm -hmm. imitate movements they are incognito 100% of the time they have no authenticity and so it's very real and it's very scary and I don't want to put a stereotype to it because unfortunately you can't stereotype it And I don't think that Mm -hmm. people should live in fear. I want people to trust. And an example of that is I had only had phone call conversations with these women, a part of the love storm. And I still got on a plane to New York and met them at their apartment. And I still had only talked to them voice to voice on a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people should always trust. You know, um, go based off of your gut feeling, but I don't want to put a stereotype to it. No, I think that that's good advice. And it's like you said, it's very honest because a lot of times people ask me the same question. How do you spot child abusers? How do you know when a little girl's being, you know, sexually abused by her stepfather or whatever? And again, it's kind of the same thing. Like I can give you a couple, I, you know, things of advice on what to look for based on their characteristics, the way they're acting, their behavior, things like that. But for the most part, if people who are who do this kind of stuff are good at it. My stepfather mm-hmm. was good at it. He was a sociopath. He was a manipulator. He was a good liar. He was good at everything that he did. And that's why I kept it hidden for so many years. So yeah, I mean, it's one of the things where you can, you're, there's not going to be a scarlet letter written on someone's forehead, unfortunately. And so just to be aware of all your gut signs as best as you can. And like you said, losing faith in the world and losing trust isn't going to get you anywhere. So I'm so glad that you're still considering everything that you've been through. You should be the least trusting person, but you're not. And you're still willing to take that leap of faith with people. And I think that that's super important and like just a really good thing because a lot of times people don't do that. They kind of turn, run. And so I think it's really commendable that you trust people again. Thank you. Any advice you'd give to somebody that's been through this, that maybe hasn't come out and told, hasn't reported it, or and is kind of going down that rabbit hole of drugs, alcohol, and coping with all those negative coping skills? Um, I would say, and I would encourage them to find their voice, but find your voice within yourself and find it when you're ready. 
you will know when you're ready. Your body will tell you when you're ready. So just try to stay in tune to your body as much as you can. You know, stay connected mm-hmm. to outlets like your podcast, my podcast, The Love Storm, Together One Heart. You know, there's so many different advocacy programs that are out there nowadays with all of these self-help or therapists like talk space, they have so many different outlets for you to use nowadays. And so I encourage people to not shut down and find your voice from within and utilize everything that the world is giving you to use. No, I think that's great. Well, Amber, thank you so much for telling your story. I mean, your story, like I said, it's still raw and it's still something you're going to be working through for a long time, but you're down the right path and you really are just doing so well. And I'm just like super proud of you. Just knowing like where you've been and where you are now is I think really great. So thank you for being, you know, a voice for the voiceless. That's one of the main things I always say is be a voice for the voiceless. And when you said that, when you said that to me the other day on the message, I want to, or on your introductory that I want to be the voice for the voiceless. I was like, that's what I'd say, you know, cause it is, it's such an important thing. You need, we need to be a voice yeah. for people that don't have one right now. The ones that are still in the midst of sex trafficking, the ones that are still being abused every day, you know, and I think that you're doing awesome. So thank you again for coming on. You guys, you can follow her on Instagram at Amber Rose Bud, B-U-D underscore. If you have any questions, if you need help or you need any, you know, advice from her, message her. You can also message me and I could give you more contact with her. Also, she has a website called sexloveandyou.com. And that's where you can find her podcast and basically everything else on there. And do you have anything else that you want to say or kind of tell people to go to find more information on this? Yeah, just stay tuned and subscribe to our website and we'll send you automatic emails of when we have new episodes dropping. We have a few amazing guest speakers coming up and it's going to be a really exciting journey. So I look forward to a lot of people tuning in and being a part of it. Yes, I'm so excited. And I'm actually going to be a guest as well. So tune in for that and just kind of keep an eye out for that when that will be really so all right amber well i again i appreciate you you guys make sure that you follow at candle and